Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 17. And if you'd like to, you can follow on page 853 in your pew Bible. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. People were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them, and when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered them not to do it. But Jesus called for them and said, Let the children come to me, and do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What gets rewarded gets repeated. It's an important theme for today's teaching. Feel free to write it down if you like. What gets rewarded gets repeated. Good morning, church. My name is Rob Lau. I'm one of the pastors here at Ebenezer. And today we're continuing our series called Parent Traps. We started this series at the beginning of January. We had two installments of the study. And then last week took a planned detour as we invited uh, everyone to have uh, some of the experiences that our 120 pilgrims who matriculated to Israel and back again had over the course of this last couple of weeks. Today we're picking back up this series. And I just want to reiterate why this series is important. Of all the things in my life that I want to be good at, the most important thing to be good at, I think, in terms of my relationship to other people, is I want to be a good dad. I'm not always a good dad. I make a lot of mistakes. But I desperately, desperately want to be a good one. And I know that there are some traps I can fall into as I interact with my children. But I also know that raising children is not just the job of biological parents. The living God has called us into Christian community. All of us bear responsibility to help raise up the next generation here in our church and in our community. And so this series is designed to help us be a little bit better at this incredibly important task. So today we're looking at two traps we can fall into as we help invest in the lives of children. One is the trap of praise, and the other is the trap of pain. Now, we're going to talk about how perhaps we should allow for a little bit more of one and a little bit less of the other, and you might be surprised which is which along the way. But let's get started this morning by talking about praise. Encouragement is important. It's it's vital. It's like food for our souls. We don't have to ask ourselves the question, should we praise our children? Of course, of course we should praise and encourage our kids. But it is a fair question to say, how do we do it well? How do we praise our children well? How do we praise them for the right things? If you were to ask yourself, what is it that you have praised your children for or the young people in your life for, how would you answer that question? 
What gets rewarded gets repeated, I would remind you. Do we praise our children for things over which they have no control? Things like natural giftedness and proclivities? Do we praise them for beauty and intellect? Or do we praise our children for things over which they exercise great control, such as their character, the choices they make, and the effort they put in? Here's another important question. Is it possible we overpraise our children? I know that sounds odd, but it's precisely because we love our kids so much that we can fall into the trap of affirming everything they do. Oftentimes undeservedly or excessively we could say that was awesome when we well know that was not awesome i can bear witness to this i am guilty of this you see i have a little one who this past year played flag football they were terrible (laughs) great coaches really wonderful kids terrible football team And you might say, well, they're seven or eight years old. Yeah, I took that into account. They're terrible. (laughs) And yet, because I wanted to be an affirming dad, there were times that those kids walked out the field and I said, you guys did great. (laughs) They did not do great. My guess is that all of us, all of us have done these things before. You're the best dishwasher emptier in the whole world you haven't even dropped out of school yet last week i watched you eat an entire meal you never once spilled your drink you're amazing i want to suggest to you that there are some potential problems with overpraising our children or praising them for the wrong things. Let's talk about those for just a moment. Here's a, one of the problems with overpraising our kids is that praising our kids too much or praising them for the wrong things can diminish their motivation. When people feel that they're already excellent at something, they have a tendency to stop working hard at that thing. I believe in grace and mercy with all of my heart, I really do. But I also believe that two of the greatest characteristics our children will need to be successful in this world are motivation and perspiration. When we tell our children they are great at things, when in fact they are not great at those things, we teach them that success comes without effort. We can diminish their motivation. Here's a second problem with praising too much, or praising the wrong things, is that Our effusive praise can increase our children's narcissism. Children who are constantly praised think that they are deserving of perpetual adulation. There's a guy by the name of Tim Elmore who went to a human resources conference a few years back. Let's just take a moment and say that sounds like a party. He went to an HR uh, uh, thing a couple couple years ago. And while he was there, he was interacting with some HR professionals. And they told him this. They said that as human resources department, they were having great difficulty keeping up with the excessive need of their younger employees to have constant feedback and affirmation. One of the companies he talked to even said that they hired a praise consultant to keep up with the perpetual need of their younger employees to get positive feedback 
Narcissism that we create with overpraising our children can become crippling and it can lead, in fact, to a third problem. When we overpraise our kids, it can help inspire insecurity in them. Someday our children are going to enter the real world and if we've trained them to regularly expect praise for the smallest accomplishments and they don't get it, it can give way to insecurity. It can help them to feel as if they are inferior. A guy by the name of Bob Murray talks about this. He says that we can become overzealous cheerleaders for our kids. Our child scribbles something and we declare them Picasso. They score a goal and all of a sudden they're the next Pele. They add one and two and we tell them they're ready for Mensa. He goes on to say that the danger, if this is the only kind of praise our child hears, is that he or she will think they need to achieve in order to win your approval. They'll become afraid that if they don't succeed, they'll fall off the pedestal and their parents won't love them anymore. This is a good time to stop and just do a common sense check for a second. I think it's possible that all of us can struggle at times with overpraising our kids or praising them for the wrong things. I just want to note something. It's not because we want to hurt them. We desperately love our children. We desperately love our children. And so we want to give them every opportunity for success. But as we've discussed, overpraising our children or praising them for the wrong things can, in fact, lead to their detriment. So here's the real question. How do we make sure that we are praising our children for the right things? And in the right ways. I want to talk about a few things that can help us praise our children well. And here's the first one. We need to praise our kids for effort, not for giftedness. We need to praise our children for effort and not for giftedness. It's so easy to see our kids' natural proclivities and affirm them. And that's important. But what is it we truly want to celebrate? Something for which the child has no responsibility or something they work hard for? I remember a number of times in my life when I didn't win something and I didn't get the best grade. I wasn't declared the best at whatever I was doing, but my parents affirmed me with great tenacity because they saw me working hard towards a goal. They weren't affirming the successful completion or attainment of the goal. They were affirming the hard work. They were affirming the effort. When we have the opportunity to affirm our children and we have the choice between giftedness and effort, We should praise their effort. Here's the second thing. We need to reward character early. We see this in our scripture passage today. Two scriptures that share, in some respects, the same moral. That they tell us is that God doesn't look at the outcomes of our lives. It's not about the results with God. It's about the condition of the heart. In the first story, two men come to the temple to pray. One is a tax collector, the other is a Pharisee. The Pharisee, the religious leader, the priest, no doubt contributed more to society than the tax collector did. He was more affirmed by the people around him. But that's not what Jesus valued. Jesus valued the state of their heart. And the same is true with the children's story that comes right after it. Children have little to do with the function, the production of our society. But Jesus wanted to be near them. Why? Because he was touched by the beauty of their hearts. What do we praise in our children? Their virtues or their accomplishments? Accomplishments reflect success in a single moment. Virtue, character, prepares our children for success throughout their lives. God certainly affirmed the condition of the heart over the accomplishment or social status. 
A third thing that we need to do in order to praise well is we need to provide experiences to help our children discover and build their primary strengths. Helping our kids see where they are gifted is important. It really, really is. But we can't leave it there. If we're going to get in the habit of praising our children for doing praiseworthy things, we have to help them develop. So yesterday, we celebrated my daughter's sixth birthday. And I didn't like it one bit. Just 15 minutes ago, she was this big. And now all of a sudden, she's six years old. Back before Christmas, she even told us that she's decided what she'd like to be when she grows up. She wants to be an art teacher. She does love art. And, you know, for a five or six-year-old, she's good at it, I guess. Who can really tell? But she loves it. So for Christmas, Andy and I got her these beautiful art supplies. Um, One day I walked downstairs to our basement and my little girl was sitting there with a smock on and at the table she'd set up a little easel and she had her paints out and it was fascinating to watch this beautiful child who again 15 minutes ago was this big watch this beautiful child begin to live into something that she was passionate about. Now, if we do this every time that our child expresses a passion, we might do nothing but search after our child's passion. I'm not suggesting that that's the right path. But I would say that we need to help our children understand where they are gifted and where they are passionate and then strive to help them develop those gifts. A fourth way to make sure that we are encouraging our children well is to help them see the positive impact they have on others' lives. When children make a difference in somebody else's lives for the better, we need to praise them because our society is often so full of selfishness. When we see our kids helping someone else, we need to celebrate that. It it doesn't have to be effusive, our praise. We don't need to throw a party every time our kid spends 15 minutes at serve. But when we see our kids trying to make a difference in the lives of others, man... We want to affirm that. And by the way, parents of adult children, I want to suggest this is every bit as important for adult children as it is for children who are still uh, developing through their youth. I had a chance over the course of the last couple months to see my mom twice, which I don't normally get to see her that much, but it was really good for me. And at one conversation over Christmas, my mom asked me, how are things going at Ebenezer Church? And I I got to tell her about uh, the upcoming launch of Stafford Hope which for those of you who are perhaps new to our community, February 9th, Stafford Hope is a series of initiatives that we're launching here at Ebenezer Church to help benefit our community, particularly to help benefit people who are facing some very difficult times in their lives, addictions, loss, all all manner of of, uh, ways to help. I told my mom about all this. I, I really didn't have to. She was kind enough after I did to tell me, yeah, I watched that sermon online. So mom, if you're watching, I love you. But I couldn't even get through the description before she interrupted me and said, Honey, I just want you to know how proud I am of you. By the way, in her mind, I'm doing this all myself. You guys have no hand in it. I just want you to know that. (laughs) You're just along for the ride. But I can tell you that I'm 41 years old and the praise of that woman who celebrated me for trying to help make a difference in somebody else's life matters every bit as much to me at the age of 41 as it did when I was 14. When we see our children making a positive difference in the lives of others, my goodness gracious, that's something we want to affirm because what gets rewarded gets repeated. 
Finally, a fifth thing that I want to encourage us to do as we praise well is to clarify to our children that our love for them is unconditional. That it's not about their accomplishments. It's not about their outcomes. We're going to love our kids no matter what. Because when our kids know we're going to love them no matter what, they're free to try new things, to, to try and fail, sometimes try and succeed. But most importantly, we tell our kids we love them unconditionally because that's exactly how God taught us to love. That's exactly how our Heavenly Father loves us. We spent some time talking about praise. Now I want to move on to talk about the second parent trap today. A little less comfortable for us. It's the trap of pain. We do not like to see our children in pain. Sometimes, because we don't like to see our kids in pain, we will strive to remove pain, all of it, from their lives. And I understand this because there have been some days I just wanted to cover my kids in bubble wrap when I looked out at this world. But striving to alleviate all the pain in our kids' lives can create a problem as well. The problem with removing every difficulty is that it keeps children from learning how to cope with the reality of the world. And you might be saying, Pastor, you're crazy. How is it possible that by trying to remove pain from my child's life, I'm actually hurting them? Well, I want to suggest at least two things. First, taking away pain has a tendency to compromise our ability to endure hardship. When we as parents take away pain, it helps compromise our children's ability to endure and overcome hardship. Childhood's a laboratory. It's a laboratory in which our kids learn how to operate in the world. And when we safeguard our kids against all pain at a young age, we handicap their ability over time to learn how to manage and overcome difficult situations. So instead of trying to shelter our kids from all pain, what if we responsibly walked beside them through their difficult moments? Because that's what God does. God doesn't try to shelter us from all the tough times. In fact, Jesus even said, the rain is going to fall on the just and the unjust alike. We can try and shelter our kids from all suffering, or we can help them learn how to cope with the fact that there are hardships in the world. The second problem with striving to alleviate pain for our children is it can actually lead to addictive tendencies. There are some times in our lives that we'll use pills to fall asleep or caffeine to wake us up, music to accompany us on our commutes. We'll drink energy drinks to help us perform, alcohol to help us relax. Perhaps in and of themselves there is nothing here that's evil. These things can make life easier, but when we put it all together, we might ask ourselves if we're communicating to our kids that all hardship and difficulty should be avoided at all costs, that they should find ways to mitigate suffering. If that's what we're teaching our kids, my guess is they'll listen. So, one more time. There are some things that we could do negatively as it relates to pain, how do we do it well? Should we just should we just throw our kids into the lion's den? Should we throw them to the wolves? No. Nor should we surround them in bubble wrap. There's got to be a middle ground. How do we find it? Well, I want to suggest three questions we as parents can ask of ourselves to try and figure out, hey, is this pain healthy pain or is it unhealthy? So here are these three questions. First, is this thing my child is encountering, is it hurtful or is it harmful? 
painful can be a good teacher. Pain can be a good teacher. Amen? It, yeah, we don't like it, but it can be a good teacher, church. Something hurtful will be uncomfortable for a moment, but in time will help us learn a lesson because pain can be a very effective teacher. Is it hurtful? Meaning, will it teach us a lesson? Or is it harmful? Something harmful could derail our lives. Here's my example for this. Hurtful is when my eight-year-old comes to me and says, Dad, can I hammer that nail for you? Eh. Harmful is when my eight-year-old son comes to me and says, Dad, can I use the table saw? <laughs> no, buddy. No, <laughs> if it's hurtful, perhaps it's worth the lesson. Here's a second question. Is this thing disturbing or is it damaging? Thursday morning at 1 o'clock a.m., I was disturbed. I got a phone call at the Olive Tree Hotel in Jerusalem, Israel, telling me it was time to get on a bus to take me to an airport, to get on a plane, to take me to another airport, to get on a plane to get back here. It was disturbing, but... It was exactly the call I needed to get at the right time. That's what disturbances do. Disturbances in our lives wake us up from lethargy and help us to take notice. Damage could be lasting, sometimes irreparable. So one question we could ask ourselves when it comes to allowing pain in our child's life is, is this thing going to disturb them enough to help them take notice? Or is it ultimately going to be damaging to them? Here's the third one, and maybe the most important. Is this healthy stress? Or is it unhealthy stress? It's so easy to want to alleviate all the stress from our kids' lives. I love my kids so much. I don't want, to, I don't want my kids to be stressed out, but we should not try to remove it all. Because stress can be a healthy thing and it is certainly a reality in this world. Instead of trying to alleviate all the stress in our kids' lives, we might ask ourselves the question, what kind of stress is this? Is this a healthy stress of studying hard to get a good grade? If so, it's probably generally good stress. It it simulates the real world with real deadlines. Here's one way to tell the difference, by the way. Healthy stress tends to end. Unhealthy stress is perpetual. I want to stop here and just say, I don't think this is just an important question for us as parents and mentors to ask of the young people in our lives. I think this is an important question for us to ask of ourselves You tend to be a highly motivated lot, Ebenezer Church. I'm grateful for that. means together we get to really change this world. But sometimes I wonder how much of the stress that are in our daily lives is healthy stress and how much is unhealthy. I just want to communicate to you that if you feel as if the stress in your life never ends, I don't believe that's God's will for us. Yes, there will be stressful seasons, But it's not God's will that we live under perpetual stress now until the day we go home to glory. And if you're struggling to find that place between what is healthy and what is unhealthy, I just wanted to remind you that this Wednesday night at 7.30, we're offering a workshop about stress to try and help us understand it, how to manage it well, 
There's child care provided, so you don't have to stress about that. Amen? Listen, I'm not doing this series with you because I think I have all the answers about being a parent. I'm doing this series with you because I desperately, desperately want to be a better parent. I look at the way that God treats us. God praises us. Our Father in Heaven praises us, not generally for our accomplishments. Almost always, it's for the content and condition of our hearts. You could ask the tax collector who was declared more righteous than the priest. Our Father in Heaven loves us enough to give us the chance to learn, even when sometimes that learning can involve some pain. Oh, we love our children desperately. We love the kids in our lives so much. We want to give them every opportunity for success. One of the things that I have learned in my eight and a half years of being a parent is it is not easy to be a parent. Amen? Amen. And I listen, some of you are laughing, eight and a half years, rookie, right? <laughs> I know, I know. That's why I'm trying to talk about the teenage years now before I have to, you know, meet it face to face and head on. So, just got back from Israel Thursday and saw some amazing things while while I was there. I just wanted to share one experience with you that ties into our conversation this morning. On the southern edge of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, you can go and you can... You can walk up the steps that were the main entrance into the temple in the time of Jesus. They have a special name. They're called the teaching steps. And almost without question, Jesus Christ, being a teacher, taught on these steps just outside of the temple. Now, some of the steps have been covered with new stone, but some of them you can actually go and stand on the actual steps where Jesus would have walked, which is an amazing experience. It was the week before Jesus was crucified that Jesus stood on those teaching steps in Jerusalem and he picked a fight with the Pharisees. It's often our case to think of Jesus as a victim. In those final days of his life, he was not. He knew exactly what he was doing. He stood up in public and on those teaching steps, just outside the temple, Jesus talked about the faults of the religious system around him. One of the stories he told was about how a tax collector could be far more righteous than a Pharisee could be. What Jesus was trying to do was he was trying to help the people around him recognize the virtue of the content of their heart over the accomplishment and societal accolades around them. What gets rewarded gets repeated, church. And I want to make sure that the things I'm affirming in my child are the things that prepare their hearts to live with God forever. That may be a different perspective than some of us have had for a while. But that's why we come here. That's why we hear the Bible opened and proclaimed in the desperate hope that God will help us to see with new eyes. And here with new ears, especially in something as important as raising up our children. I hope you'll come and join with us next week as we continue our series. But until then, would you pray with me, church? Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful example. We don't always understand, and sometimes we straight up ignore you. 
But there are those moments where you help us see with new eyes and hear with new ears so that we can become all you've called us to be, particularly in the most important endeavors of our lives, the investment in the next generation of those who are to come, those who will proclaim your gospel to the uttermost parts of this world, those who will rescue, those who will restore, those who will redeem. God, we ask for your grace to be the best parents, caregivers, mentors, and friends we can be. We don't always have the right answers, but we desire desperately, desperately to honor you in our efforts and to raise up these next generation of children to change the world. In the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.